Welcome to Bird Bits and today's episode, Experiencing Loons. Bird Bits are stories of rehabilitation. My name is Tanya Prochnow and I am a state and federally permitted wildlife rehabilitator located in northern Michigan. Bird Bits shares educational information based on what we do here at With Feathers Avian Rescue. You will hear updates on the birds that we see, stories and information behind the scenes that bring them to our care. We hope this podcast helps you understand just a little bit better what's involved in rehabilitation. Today we are going to be talking about loons. Loons, as far as I can tell, are one of the best loved species and most known for their calls. For some reason, the sound of a loon is recognizable and it's identified as part of the north. So let's start first with some loon basics, some basic information. There are five different species of loon worldwide. There's the red throat, the black throat, the Pacific, the yellow billed, and here in northern Michigan, we have the common loon. So when I refer to a loon, I am always, unless I say differently, referring to the common loon because that's the only species we see here. Loons are different than other birds because of the positioning of their feet. Their feet are positioned farther back. It's almost like little motors on the back of their body. So they're not able to stand once they're out of the water. But because of the positioning of their feet, it makes them excellent swimmers, excellent divers. And they swim underwater for long distances. They can go up to 30 foot deep if the lake's deep enough and they catch fish, and that's what they eat primarily is fish. They'll eat some crustaceans, some plants. Um, They're opportunistic that way, but the majority of what they eat is fish. And a family of loons, so say two parents and two young birds, over the course of the the summer will eat a half a ton of fish. Now, that's a lot of fish. Um, They also have solid bones. We hear about birds having lightweight, air-filled bones, Well, loons have solid bones, and it helps them with diving. It gives them a little extra weight to get down for those deep dives. But because of the extra weight and because of the positioning of their feet, they cannot just take off and fly straight up into the air like other birds can. They have to run along the surface of the lake, and they basically need a runway to get up into the air. Once they're in the air, they can fly at speeds of 70 miles an hour, so they're good in the air as well. It's just getting up there is difficult for them. They are are, um, migratory, and so they do fly and leave. Um, However, the adults leave earlier, and they leave all the juveniles behind, and then the juveniles will migrate later. Usually it's the end of October into November here in northern Michigan. Um, usually there are two um, two chicks that they hatch. Um, their nests are usually floating in reeds or on the very edges of a lake. Um, they very rarely, if you see a loon on dry ground, you need to investigate because, as I said, they can't walk, and that means there's probably a problem. So that's kind of the uh, a really general basic on loons. It's what makes loons a little different and a little special. So next I wanted to talk a little about the threats to loons. This would be the main reasons that we would see them in rehabilitation or things that cause 
death to loons. Now, the study that I'm using was actually done in Maine. So this was specific to loon death in Maine. I believe you would find these statistics are probably fairly close in percentages in other states. So first up would be lead at 28% of the deaths that they had um, reported. Uh, lead comes from the fact that loons pick up pebbles and small rocks to add to their digestion, and it helps grind up their food. While they're picking up these small pebbles and rocks at the bottom of the lake, they can also pick up sinkers that have um, been used in fishing and ended up um, being lost. And so unless they're treated and the lead is removed, it will eventually likely kill them because uh, as, as small as a grain of rice can actually kill birds as far as lead goes. So lead would be the number one. Uh, they also have something listed as unknown, which is also 28%. And a lot of times there's death that it's not explainable to us. Uh, there is a reason whether it's something that's genetically different with the bird, if it's something um, we just can't account for it. So there is a percentage that we just don't have answers for. Next would be trauma. Trauma is at 19%. Trauma usually is in the form of being hit by a boat, a watercraft, um, something that hit them. Although in some cases with young birds, it can be trauma from a predator grabbing them. Um, some birds are, can be grabbed by, say, an eagle and then dropped, and then they have the trauma that way. But a lot of it is um, human-caused. Next after that would be fungal. Fungal is usually caused by a fungus called aspergillosis. It is everywhere in the environment. Um, humans can get it, so it could be a concern. Um, the main thing is if there are other things causing stress to the loon, the fungal infection can happen secondary. When we have a bird in for care, uh, that's one of the things we look for because just being in a stressful, different environment can make them susceptible. This is something that can kill the bird in a matter of days if it's not treated. It is something that we can treat prophylactically to try and avoid it in when they're in care. Um, next, which is down a ways, would be um, entanglement in line. That's 4% of the deaths. I will tell you, I have had, um, I've had three loons in this year in care. Two of them died because of entanglement. When a loon is entanglement, it, it, entangled, it has fishing line that has been wrapped around it. Not only does that prevent them from diving correctly, which in turn causes starvation, but it also causes the physical injury to their leg, to their face, to wherever that line is tangled. And then it also causes the additional stress, which can lead to that fungal infection because of the stress. So as I said, I've had two loons this year that did not survive um, entanglement. And that might seem like a very small thing, but it is a big issue. And it is one that is totally preventable. Now, after that, there's also 
a small number that includes drowning. Now, a loon can drown if it's entangled and it can't get out of the water, get its face out of the water. Um, some loons um, have been shot, they can have an infection, or they can starve. And again, the starvation could also be secondary. Um, one of the things that should alert people to the problems that loons are having is if you see a loon on the beach, um, if you see uh, it anywhere out of the water, you need to check on it. Um, it's something that you could take it and physically see if it floats. Um, but usually if it's grounded, there's a reason for it and it probably should be checked out before it's put back into the water because there's a reason that it's ended up on shore. That's not, that's not where they belong. They can't move. They're trapped. One of the things we do see sometimes, we do have grounding events. Usually it would be in the spring when they're returning. Sometimes you can have a loon that will land on um, a runway or um, a wet pavement because it reflects in such a way that it looks like water. And once they're on the ground, they can't move. And because they're so solid and heavy, if you remember, I said they need to run like a runway in the water to be able to get up. So if they accidentally land in the wrong place, they have no way to move and they need to be rescued. Um, there's no way that they can save themselves in that situation. So I'm going to tell you a few stories um, and uh, my encounters with loons. The first year that I rehabilitated, I had a loon brought to me that was approximately five days old. And I knew what it was, but I had never seen a loon before besides pictures. I know I live in northern Michigan. I know there's lakes everywhere, but I'm not a water person, and I had never seen one or heard one in the wild. I, the only thing that I knew is that they were a lot of work, and... Um, I was a little intimidated by it. So I started making some calls because the first thing you want is you want that loon with other loons. If it can't be put back with their family, which this one was not found near water at all, um, they need to be raised with other loons. So I started calling, and unfortunately at that time, there weren't any other rehabilitators that had any juvenile or baby loons at that time. So my next question was how to care for it, and it would have meant tr a transfer um, downstate or out of state. And so I basically talked to what I would consider the experts out of Maine and learned what I had to do. Um, our local lake organization provided me a grant to put in a pond specific to loons. When I say specific to loons, loons water needs to be kept pristine. It needs to be clean and spotless because um, any debris on the top of the water can affect their feathers so that they're not waterproofed. They also need to be able to see nice clear water in order to catch the fish. And so there has to be an overflow system so that the there can be an overflow to keep that water clear. So it's specific, um, specifically designed for loons. So that is how I started with the first loon. And then that same year, I had a second loon from another rehabilitator. And um, 
The second loon came to me missing a chunk of skin on its head. You could see down to the bone. One of the things that isn't usually mentioned is with loons, um, there can be cases of siblicide. That's basically one sibling attempts to kill the other sibling or drive them out. It's basically so that they can get more food and they um, can develop quicker and stronger and healthier. And so this, in this case, this loon had been um, attacked by a sibling. The rescuer watched it and um, they were able to rescue it. Um, a couple other stories. As I said, I do not like water. And um, at our local lake, there was a loon in distress. And so I went out in a pontoon boat um, to try and see what we could determine with this loon. And um, this was me sitting in the on the floor of a pontoon boat in the center watching because I don't like water. Um, so that was an interesting, and thankfully in that case, um, as we chased the loon around the lake, um, the more it dived, the more the line came unattached. And so it ended up free and clear and we did not have to intervene or do anything. Um, another funny story is, um, I received a call regarding a loon that was in distress that it just couldn't move and it was, um, in the water. And so, um, a friend and my, my son and I took kayaks to go investigate what the situation was. Um, again, I don't like water. I got in a kayak basically because of concern for the loon. So we went out and um, it was determined that the neighbor had put out a loon decoy without telling their neighbors. And so we went out to rescue a decoy. And so um, the only good thing I can tell you from that is since then, I have actually um, taken up kayaking. Um, I always wear my vest because I'm afraid of the water. But it's been a, a unique experience because now I have been able to actually see the loons on the lake, listen to them, watch them with their amazing diving, and... Um, it's, it's been wonderful, um, having not ever seen them in the wild before that. Our loons are really amazing, and as I said, there are things that we can do to help them. Pick up your fishing line, stop using the lead, um, and just be aware that if you see one on land, it is in distress, and it needs to be checked out. Um, I want to I want to thank you for listening to Bird Bits. This was a short and sweet loon. There is so much more you can learn about them. Um, you will be able to find more information on our website, which is withfeathers.com under the podcast tab. And uh, we encourage you to listen again next week for a new episode. Have a great <laughs>